the time that we spend in the word will be beneficial to our lives like meat to our human bodies that the meat of the word will also provide nourishment for our spiritual bodies. The Bible talks about the spiritual man, of course, in this particular case, it's really talking about mankind or all people. And Jesus said, man or mankind shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. This is how you live. This is how we live. Because our food is different than the world's food because our law is different than the world's law because our home is different than the world. We're not trying to set up an earthly kingdom. We're trying to make sure our calling and election is certain and sure. Amen. So now, just close your eyes for a moment. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the day that you have made. I thank you for your blessing. I thank you, Lord, for all the wonderful things you have done in our life. You are the great God of heaven and earth. There's no God like you. I want to say, Lord, that you have given us so much. We are undeserving. I want to praise you, so I bless you. So bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who healeth all thy diseases, who forgiveth all thine iniquities. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thee of thereof and be glad. And we give you praise and honor and glory. We take advantage of the moment that we can hear the word to be participants in this. Captivate our thoughts and our hearts, our minds, in Jesus' holy name. Amen. God bless you. I thank you for standing. And if you have your Bibles, this would be the time to open up your Bibles. You may be seated. Thank you. <clears throat> Now, there's always a couple of sermons or lessons that are being taught um, at one time. One man said that the lesson is, there's a sermon that he's preaching. There's the sermon the people are preaching or are receiving. Um, and, um, and then there's the other one, the one he thinks they're receiving, uh, which is, which could, it's, complicated, uh, but uh, that is often the story. So much like every presentation, there are things that are assumed that can be damaging to the presentation. So I have to give a couple of disclaimers here uh, as, as I begin. So let me just give a couple of disclaimers um, in this first presentation. Are you ready? Justice is always in order, justice. Mercy is always in order because God is the God of justice and mercy. Everybody okay? Got that? Here's the next one. What is right will always be right. It doesn't matter how many people do wrong. It doesn't matter if the whole world does wrong. 
something that is right or true remains right and true. Because, here it is, righteous living does not have an expiration date. Okay. So these are disclaimers. We have, I mean, it doesn't sound, why would you give a disclaimer like that? Well, you'll know. There are things, here's the third one. There are things you need to remember and people you need to remember. You need to always remember your vow, whatever vow you have made, especially those vows made before God or unto God. So before God would be a vow maybe in a marriage or unto God would be a commitment. You should never think to forget the loss of a family member, maybe a grandmother or maybe someone even closer like a son or a father or mother. There are losses of life and we ought to remember and not forget. And then we ought to always remember the precious things of life. And you have to have the memory of them. Your memory of good things will always assist you in your pursuit of joy. If you want to get your joy back or you want to keep your joy, you have to bear in mind the memory of the blessings of God and the precious things of life. Okay, I'll add a few disclaimers as I go. Here we go. You ready? Second Samuel chapter 16 and verse 5. I don't, I don't expect anyone to remember my, my qualifications, and, but, but I'll, I'll go back over them. 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 5, and this is a, what we would, in, in many circles, would be more ups, an obscure uh, a portion of Scripture. And I'll read. And when King David came to Barum, or Barum, Behold, this came out of man of the family of the house of Saul. So the man who's coming to, to David is of the people of the former king Saul, who is already passed. He's already died. His name was Shammai, the son of Gera. He came forth, cursed still as he came. So as they were traveling together, Shammai is cursing at David. And he cast stones at David. Oh my. And at all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. Now, if you want to start a fight, don't start it with fully armed men. David's mighty men was 30, but he also had three others that were included in that, in that military force. And thus said Shammai when he cursed, Come out, come out, thou bloody man, thou man of Belial. The Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose stead thou hast reigned. And the Lord hath delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, my son. And behold, thou art taken in thy mischief, because thou art a bloody man. Then said Abishai, the son of Zeruah, unto the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Let me go over, I pray thee. I'll take off his head. This is what David said. What have I to do with you? Ye sons of Zeroah. So let him curse, because the Lord hath said unto him, Curse David. Um, th this would be, if I could kind of uh, phrase this, 
Who shall say then, wherefore hast thou done so? So in other words, David's saying, what if the Lord has orchestrated this? And why do we have to cut off his head? Let him be. And David said to Abishai, to all his servants, Behold my son, which came forth of my bowels, seeketh my life. He's talking about Absalom. Absalom wants to kill David. How much more now may this Benjamite do it? Let him alone. Let him curse. For the Lord hath bidden him. Or perhaps, or the Lord has allowed this. It may be that the Lord will look on mine affliction, and the Lord will requite me good for his cursing this day. If I leave him alone, maybe the Lord will bring me out. Maybe this is what I deserve. And as David and his mighty men went by the way, Shammai went along on the hillside over against him and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and cast dust. So they're walking along and Shammai is cursing, hurling stones and throwing dust. Saul was the king. He was the first king. Saul led the people into battle. He helped people. I I know his end. We see him in a certain light, a view of arrogance and pride. We see him as completely flawed. We see him as a disconnected man, and he was disconnected from the prophet. He had all the trappings of, of kingship. He was handsome. He was tall. He, he, he had what it took. He began prophesying with the school of the prophets before he was ever king. And it wasn't long before he had his first victory and it wasn't long when, when he slipped and fell, became arrogant. He even built a monument to himself. Samuel rebuked King Saul on more than one occasion. Samuel, the prophet, he withstood Saul to his face. He openly chastised him for his rash decisions and pride. It was Samuel who pointed out Saul's beginning, which is one of the great thoughts of the Bible. I won't go there. He knew the king before he was the king. This is very important in everyone's life. No matter where you get, where you go, it's always wonderful to have someone around you that knew you before. <laughs> this is a good thing. <laughs> you can fill in the blank before you were. That helps you. It pulls you back into that moment. We read all these things, but one thing that's so easily missed is that Saul had friends. Saul had friends. He had families surrounding him. He gave people positions and jobs and brought home victories. Even, even men much more corrupt than Saul garnished the praise of people and had friends and did kind things or good things. Maybe they were self-serving things, but they did things for people. And Saul had done that. And Saul had victories. Of course, we know Saul had thousands, but he killed thousands. But uh, we don't know exactly how great his victories were. But the ladies did wrong. The women of Israel once sang a song and it infuriated King Saul when they said, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. Now that was a, that was a bad song to sing. It was demoralizing. You don't ever push someone down to lift someone up. But that's what they did. So just taking the first part, we know that King Saul had victories. The people loved the king. For the most part, they loved the king, even if they did not know who he was. On the outskirts of Jerusalem, people loved the king. 
Saul was a celebrity among them, the first king of Israel. He was the one they clamored for. He was the celebrity. So while we can read of him and see his immediate failings and, and faults, many of the people of the nation did not know these things. They just knew that they had a king and he was victorious and he was handsome because most leaders are only seen in a superficial way. David received the accolade for killing Goliath, but Saul was still the king. So it was under his reign that Goliath was killed. It was still his honor to have prevailed over the arch enemy that came from the Philistine camp. The men, many of them, were still loyal to King Saul. Many of them would die for him, and many of them did die with him in battle. Many died with him in battle. And when Saul finally was killed, there were holdovers. People who loved Saul. People who were loyal to Saul. People who believed that David stole the throne and that it did not belong to King David. They didn't want to call him king. And choices had to be made. The choice in this case became a showcase of decisions. It wasn't just a choice in convenient times. I want to tell you for a moment about convenient times. That's when your high school friend or the town bully mocks you. You see them at the high school reunion, but... The problem is you've reached the top of your profession and they're still acting like you are nothing. They're at the bottom looking up. They're saying ugly things about you. But you leave there and you fly back home to the Bahamas and you climb on your newly purchased 100-foot yacht. Accusations in convenient times really don't hurt very much. Convenient times, when you're doing well, life is good, you're gaining you walk away. You forget that very easily. That's, that's when you can forget very easily. You have more friends than enemies. You have more friends than ever. You have more money than ever. You have more future than past. But that is not where David stood. He's walking in the path of conflict. His son, Absalom, is seeking his blood. He has major family dispute and division. And there is no division in this world like family division. No division like family division. That's why the church has to be very careful because we are the family of God and we can ill afford to be divided. There's no division like family division. And David is, is not inconvenient times. His son Absalom is angry, has taken charge of Jerusalem. I'm not teaching it tonight, but I want to teach you again about, about taking up offenses. And this is what happened Absalom is taking up an offense for his scorned sister. And David has abdicated the throne in an effort to find peace. He does not want to fight with his son. He loves Absalom. But Absalom's on the warpath to even kill his father David. When a holdover, a loyalist of Saul from Saul's house, steps forward and here is the accusation. You are a thief and this turmoil is happening because of what you did. These are not convenient times for David. These are gut-wrenching times. I really don't know this feeling. I pray that my children are never at odds with me like Absalom was at odds with his father. I pray that my sons and my daughters never ever grow to hate me. I can't think of a worse thing. These terrible moments of life when people speak ill of you and you're already down and you're already struggling, 
He's struggling with a family turmoil. And then there's a holdover that now is accusing him. This is the problem. As my mother has often taught, and I repeat this, a crisis is a storm on three sides. Financial, health, relationships, pick a three sides. That's a crisis. Some people think they're in the crisis and they're not. They're just having one storm. When you have three storms, she always taught us, that's a crisis. And there are people in crisis. And the worst moments are not when your friends forsake you, though that's painful. The worst is when children and parents are separated, hate and anger. The most bitter writings ever written in America's history occurred in a few colonial states when during the Civil War, fathers and sons took opposite sides, some Union and some Confederate, fathers facing sons and sons shooting their own fathers. Those are the most bitter moments of our history to consider the death of a father by the hand of his son or the death of a son by the hand of his father. David was pursued by his own son. It wasn't like being pursued by Saul. Very different. It gave cause for Shammai, the son of Gerah, of the house of David. He had all the ammunition he needed. Saul was dead and David was in charge and David's kingdom was in disarray. It was all the evidence anyone needed to accuse David. Shammai did not have the whole story right. Most of it was wrong, but some of it was right. Shema was not completely wrong. And I read just recently, a good lie has a little bit of truth in it. Read it. He said, thou art taken in mischief because thou art a bloody man. All the other things were wrong. He wasn't the son of Belial. But those two statements were true in mischief. That was in reference, some believe, some scholars believe that was in reference to David's sin with Bathsheba. And it would follow him all the days of his life. Mischief, the fault line that never fades. The fault line that never fades is adultery. David said as much when he wrote, my sin is ever before me, can never go away. Never go away. I'm on a cruise in the middle of the Caribbean on a big boat back when we didn't care about Corona. We all ate with people we didn't know. (laughs) Can you imagine there was a day when that happened? A couple of years ago when I met a man who was a minister, a former missionary. And he said, I know who you are. His daughter came up and said, I know who you are. You, you wrote a song years ago. We used to sing your song. The man talked to me. And, and, and here's his whole family on this big boat. And while they're talking and telling all the stories they knew about us, I just kept thinking, I can't hide. Where can I go? Of course, you know, after a while, there's nothing to do. You just sit around and eat pizza all day, day and night. You eat breakfast, you eat a mid-breakfast, you eat a brunch before lunch, you eat lunch, then you eat, you have to have something else, and you have a bunch of ice creams in between, then you have the big sit-down meal, and you just go back for the ice cream at night. And you always try to bring some clothes that just have elastic waistbands. And one night we were sat, sitting there, and the kids were running, and Tammy was reading a book, and I was just out there in the big area and sitting down and here comes this big man and he sat down and talked and I said now now tell me about ministry and what you're doing and he started talking about it and and then he said to me brother Harpole he said I was on the mission field and I and I had an affair and it was one time and it 
it ruined my life. My wife forgave me and I went through all kinds of issues. He said it was a long time ago, but he said, I'll never, I'll never forget the scripture. My sin is ever before me. He said a whole lot of things to me. It stung my heart. You're in mischief, David. You brought up an old thing. Maybe David had fully recovered. We know he repented, but somebody remembered. Shammai said, thou art a bloody man. That was true too. Even God spoke the word. David would not build the temple because of the blood on his hands. Too much war, war, too much death. And then there's the murder of Uriah so much. David was a man of war, a bloody man. All that Shammai said was not completely false. Lie mixed with some truth. That hurts the most. Some truth and some lies, but nonetheless, stones. Shammai came at the most inconvenient time to point out the current position of King David, who now is without a throne. Kings ought never be without a throne. Unlike the beautiful yacht example I just spoke about, it'd be more like David climbing to a beat-up fishing boat with holes in it. He's scooping out water with a cup, trying to stay afloat while the enemy walks by and say, I knew you wouldn't amount to anything. Accuse me when I'm up and I can walk by. Throw stones at me when I'm already hurting and I need something and I present to you the gift of forgetting. The gift of forgetting. It was about 1990 in prayer. I knew the ministry was, the pastoral ministry was my path. I had already known that years prior. At 14, the Lord called me into the ministry. I knew specifically that he'd called me into the pastoral ministry. I didn't understand the office at that time, but I understood the path. So I asked God for gifts when I realized how close I was to fulfilling the call, and I was preaching, and at that time, preaching to different churches. We would call that in slang, I suppose, evangelizing. Not an evangelist in the office, but evangelizing. I prayed for wisdom to lead people, and then I prayed for love for people. I'm still praying for those two things every day. I asked God to use me in the supernatural gifts as he saw fit. But above that, I wanted to simply understand the Bible and preach the Bible. Because I believe then and I believe now that the scriptures hold the most needed revelations and insights all by themselves. I also believe and I always have believed that if I just preach the word of God, when the Lord needs to use spiritual gifts, he can do so but not necessarily to cover up all of my inadequacies because I didn't know the word. I've got to preach the word. Paul told Timothy it was, it was his duty to rightly divide the word of truth to understand it. There was my mission. But there's one gift that I needed. It wasn't the word of wisdom or the word of knowledge or the gift of tongues or interpretation. It wasn't the gift of prophecy, the gift of healings, the gift of miracles. It wasn't that. I needed a gift and I wish I could say that I am superbly gifted in forgetting, but God has helped me so many times with this. And I present it to you because this is a needed gift in the church and for all of you tonight. I needed it now more than ever, especially when I entered into the ministry. And now today I need it even more than I did when I began. It is the gift of forgetting to learn how to walk on when dust and stones are hurled my way. There is no reference 
in asking for it, though Paul purposed to forget those things which are behind. He said forgetting those things which are behind. Success and failure. Forgetting, ladies and gentlemen, is a choice. It's a simple choice. When David made the choice that day to walk past, it sustained him. The reason why we don't forget is because we choose to remember. Now let's qualify a few things. Some things you need to remember. You don't forget everything. Some things you need to remember. Remember that right is right. Righteous living is always right. Remember the precious moments in life. Remember your vows. But forgetting can be a great gift and many people need to have it today. Forgetting is a choice and it has to be a pursuit. It's not a one-time stop. Many years ago, an individual reminded me of something they had done. They came up to me and said, do you remember? And we talked about that so many years ago and it was, it was not a good thing. And I honestly had forgot about it because that was one of my prayers. Let me forget about that. And I did. I didn't remember it until they brought it back up. I didn't see them any of that time through the lens of their past infraction because I found this gift of forgetting and I found it wrapped up in prayer as I loved people. Loving people demands my pursuit, at least, of forgetting. Inside of that prayer lies that desperate need to forget what had happened to some people or what had happened to you or the infraction. We often say, I'll forgive you, but I won't forget. That's code. That means I'll never forgive you. (laughs) One of the great dividers among people is their choice to hold on to something that was done to them, something wrong. One of the elements of forgiveness is also, of course, to Let it go to forget, to walk on. From March this year until the end of August, during this quarantine, there's been a lot of trouble, a lot of trouble. In fact, you can look this up if you like, but please don't Google it now. Just trust that I'm telling you the truth, and if I'm not, I'm in trouble, and I probably get struck down by the bolt of lightning. So I'm going to tell you the truth. (laughs) There's a 34% 34 spike in divorces right now in America from March to the end of August. 34%. It's greater than any time in the last many, many decades. In fact, we've never seen it. In fact, the number is even higher because many divorces have been filed but not yet completed. By the end of this year, it is written and said that America will see the highest rate of divorce, divorce ever. Married couples have had to actually live together. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. This is a problem. It's a problem in the world because they needed the buffer of eight to ten hours apart to get along. Because they didn't know how to forgive and they never knew how to forget. Because a relationship that survives must have the element of forgetting. If you don't have that, you will not be sustained. I remember what you did to me. I remember. Sometimes arguments do not stay within the boundaries of the topic. Most of those arguments, as they get heated, bring up everything, including your mother-in-law. I asked two critical questions tonight. Can you let other people start fresh? And number two, can you begin again? Mm. 
Jesus challenges us in ways that are very uncomfortable. In fact, reading the words of Jesus makes me very uncomfortable about my walk with God. I submit that if anyone else would say or teach the things that Jesus taught, they would probably be run out and denounced. For the shock talked about this last week, we probably wouldn't want Jesus or Paul as our pastor. The Lord addressed this concept of starting over, of remembering and of forgetting. You are forgiven of your sins, the Lord said. You are forgiven, but you have to forgive others of their sins. Let me give you uh, our problem in, in, a, in a, it's a kind of a threefold problem because it doesn't, they're not, they're not compartmentalized. So they're folded together, threefold problem. Number one, we are conditional forgivers. Many people are conditional forgivers. <laughs> this is the problem. I'll, I, may, I may come back to that. Number two, we forgive based on the level of the offense. Well, that was no big thing. I can forgive you of that. I can forgive you that. And finally, we don't consider ourselves to be former or current offenders. When someone does us wrong, we suddenly become pious and we want to be sainted. I never in my life would I ever do that. But you've done some other bad things you just forgot. When you are wounded and offended, you often forget who you have wounded and who you have offended. We are conditional in that it comes with a bunch of, well, read the fine print, they would say. Read the fine print. I'll forgive you if this is the last time. But that's not what Jesus said. That's not what Jesus said. Because Peter was trying to find, um, he was trying to find a limit. How often should I forgive my brother, he said. And then what did the Lord, what was the Lord's answer? He was said, 70 times 7. What did the Lord, what was the number of that? Don't do the math. Don't do the math. It's infinite. It was not 490. It's infinite. Jesus was pointing out, you don't ever stop forgiving your brother. It's an infinite number. It's because you were forgiven. And forgetting is wrapped up in this level of forgiving. We forgive based upon the level of offense. If it's harsh, we can't forget that. Then we remember the most egregious things. And, and then finally, it's something happens to us. I don't know what happens to us. where We just forget that we ever were a sinner. Like, can I just tell everybody, I'm so sorry to break this to you. You were a sinner. Yes, all of our sweet mothers in the church. And all of our sweet elders in the church. I don't know when you did it. It might have been way back. But you were born a sinner. <laughs> we, Scott and I, of course love to pick on my mother and, and she, she just opens the door and, 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 and there was a small group meeting and, and the subject was lust and how do you deal with lust? Everyone had to go around the room. How do you deal with lust? When it got to mom, she said, oh, I don't deal with that at all. I don't have any of that in my life. Nothing. Never, never. Oh yeah, right, mom, right. <laughs> Forgetting is a blessing, but it's mostly a blessing to the person who makes the choice to forget. It's my blessing. The greater benefit is to me when I choose or pursue that, that gift.
but it's also a blessing to others when they realize there is hope for them. And finally, it's a blessing to the entire body of Jesus Christ. You see, many believe that Jesus will accept them after their failure. They're just not sure if the church will. I know the Lord will, will take me back, but I don't know if the people will. I don't know if I could ever be cared for or accepted. Let me just promote this to everyone. We must be, and we are, I say it by faith and by many steps, we are a caring church. Let's be a caring people, a loving people, and yes, a forgetting people. That's how new life began. We began as a healing church because so many people were broken and wounded. That's how we came to be. We didn't come to be because we were perfect or had it all together. We certainly weren't conditional. We were people that that just tried to bind together and to have some form of worship. This is the bedrock of new life. It's a church that heals people of their wounds, even things they've done to themselves. Here's my qualification to you. Wait, right is still right. Right is still right. Righteousness is still righteousness. Yes, I say that so people can remember this. We have a memory problem. We have a terrible memory problem. We remember far too much and forget far too little. If the Lord treated us the way that we treat other people, I, I think everyone would be lost. We would never be able to recover. I need to recover. Does anyone ever need to recover from something that they've done or said? What if you said something in a bad, in a bad moment? You just didn't feel good or you said something you knew it was wrong. Have you ever done that? Can I have a show of nods? <laughs> and you just wish that maybe they would forget that you did that. But we often remember the worst about somebody and forget the best about someone. We're doing the wrong thing. We're, we're remembering things that, that are hurtful and painful and we're forgetting things that are wonderful and pleasant. And it's, it's to our own detriment. Now I read from the scripture, Matthew 18, verse 15. I gotta talk to you about this. Um, uh, this is, this is in the arena I call, if you must. Everyone say it, if you must. If you must. The Bible has a bunch of if you must places because we're fallible. If you must. Here's Matthew 18, 15. If your brother, everyone say if. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, if he listens to you, you've won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I get it, although it's rare, and it happens, but it's rare. It's rare that a matter of offense will stay between two people. It's rare today. When there is offense between two people, it's rare that it can just stay there. That's rare. It's rare because we like to act spiritual and we're really carnal. It's rare because we like to retain our rights but we don't know the scripture that says, why not rather be cheated? Why not rather be wronged? We've never read that scripture. We don't know about walking on or that if someone forces us to go one mile, we just obligate ourselves to do it the second mile. That's so easy to say. It's so hard to do. It's rare that issues stay between two people. And I'll tell you, one of the great reasons why it's rare is because we have forums today to say everything we want to say and even take a picture of it. 
I may have started a fire with my best friend Larry when we were 14 on the gravel road of KK in Troy, Missouri. When it was Halloween, I might have started a fire, a little bonfire in the middle of the road with roll of toilet paper on Halloween night. I might have done that when I was 14, maybe, but I didn't take a picture of it. So it's just my word against yours. <laughs> well, never mind. Mm-hmm. People like to discuss the time they rebuked a brother. They like to share information. The talker will probably always be the talker. It doesn't matter what I say from this pulpit. Anyone who likes to talk is going to keep on talking. But Jesus gave the instruction. But I wonder if it falls into that arena. If you must. If you have to. If you can't control yourself. If you can't just let it be. Then, then go to him. If, if you don't, then go take some people. If, then take them from the church. If, if you must. The Pharisee asked about divorce, trying to trap Jesus. And Jesus said, well, Moses gave you a letter of divorce because of the hardness of your hearts. Because you had problems, because you couldn't get along because of uh, uh, adultery or, or, or some kind of sinful activity. It was never God's intention. But if you must, he gave you a letter. There was a breach, a vow broken. But if you must, here are the rules, Jesus said. Here are the rules. Okay, you want a divorce? Fine. Don't ever get remarried. Mm -hmm. Fornication is the absence of self-control in the worst possible way. Paul said, I wish that all of you were like me, not married. But if you can't control yourself, it's better to marry than to burn with lust. If you must. I got to get married, Pastor. Why? I I don't know, because I'm lonely. Well, if you must. I got to get married, Pastor, because I, I, I don't want to do something wrong. Okay. <laughs> Meet me in the morning, 10 o'clock. Well, let's do it. My office. Let's get married. Get your, get your license. Get your marriage license. Jesus said, here's the option. If you cannot forget and move on or settle it in your spirit, then if you must, here's your option. And I feel that Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17, fall into that same arena, if you must. If you cannot deal with this matter internally, then here's your option. Know this. Kingdom work can be measured by the gift of forgetting. The greater the gift of forgetting in the congregation, the greater the unity. Just like in a marriage, you often have to forget the infractions of your spouse. Because if you don't, you hold on to it. The more we know and remember about one another, the less likely is it is that we will move on or move forward. The greater the gift of forgetting, the more love exists, the more likely that we advance together. Can anyone start over? I want to know, can anybody start over with you? Not even in your own home. Can any brother or sister in this church start over with you? I'm going to start promoting the low road as much as I can. There's a theory I have called the low road. I'm not going to go through it right now, but taking the low road is different than the high road. It's scripturally based. And it, this idea that, that, that relationships can exist, they only exist on sure footing when we, when we try our best to give fresh starts to everybody. A fresh start to everybody. It is amazing that this is the only way that we are saved, a fresh start. Because the Bible says that his mercies are renewed every morning. If it were not so, you would be consumed. If the Lord held over his mercies for one single day, you wouldn't even be living in this, in this world today. But we say, well, that's the Lord. I'm not the Lord. Well, you ought to try to be like the Lord. 
I have to try to be like the Lord. Do you know how painful it is to work on forgiveness and forgetting? Ooh, that's hard to do. But we're not here to take milk. I'm here to give you ribeye, steak, roast beef, filet mignon, (laughs) beef tips. I love the worship. I want to worship. I want to praise God. I want to do it in the beauty of holiness. I want to do it in his sanctuary. All these are scriptural commands. But I also want to know that I have allowed my brother, my sister, to have room. What is it to have room? I, I beg your forgiveness, but it was, the, it was the farmer that came to church that night. And he, he, he looked at this lady worshiping in the altar. And, and he said, I know where that woman was on Saturday. She was at the honky-tonk. And she was dancing there. And now she's in church. And she was praising God. And he went around town. He told everybody. He said, that church is full of hypocrites. Or hypocrites. Let me tell you, this woman, she was at the honky-tonk. And then at church, she was praising the Lord. They're all full of hypocrites. And that pig farmer was there. He was telling everybody. And the pastor finally got wind of it. He went to the pig farmer's house. And he pulled up in his pickup truck. And they greeted each other. And he said, what can I do for you, Reverend? He said, well, I'm here to buy one of your pigs. Well, come on out. And they put their arms across that corral and looked at all those big swine. He said, now, there's a lot of bacon, meat, ham on that one. And they all ran by. And finally, the pastor said, no, no, no. There's the one I want. He said, no, no, no. That's the runt. As the smallest one, barely, you can't get any bacon off that. Barely qualifies as a pig. He said, no, that's the one I want right there. That's the best one. I want that one. They got the pig all in a little cage, put in the back of the pickup truck, and the pastor was driving away. He rolled down the window and said, now, pig farmer, I'm going to go around town and tell everybody, these are the kind of pigs you raise. Yeah. Just measuring everybody by our lowest common denominator. Let me just tell you, that's how Jesus was measured by his lowest common denominator. And they accused him of eating with publicans and sinners. And they said, you must be a publican and sinner. The only thing that they had against him was that they were pious. He touched lepers, which was virtually illegal, but certainly a taboo. And this is a power in the church. That we would all allow people room to grow. How about the person who backslides or who does horrible things, but on church they're dancing and worshiping. Is that okay with you? What if they're struggling? What if they're struggling, but just on Sundays they're feeling better? The Lord will help them. The preaching will help them. The teaching will help them. The conviction of the Holy Ghost will help them. No, I don't, I don't want to have a whole bunch of fake people Worshiping God and acting like they're saved but living like devils. We don't want that. We're not, we're not promoting that. But we're also not promoting this idea that we're forgetting everyone's infraction. I know where you've come from. I know who you are. I know what you did. Really? If you only knew what I did, Paul said, I'm the chief sinner. Huh. Uh-oh. This is a problem. So how can I forget? Number one, Pray. Now, I don't want you to take this in a shallow way. This prayer does not mean asking God to help you forget. It's just prayer. Prayer is its own cleansing agent. It cleanses the mind. Praying for others' needs, praying for revival, it reconstructs the thought patterns of the mind. Prayer reconstructs your language. 
Pray to God. Some people only go to prayer for specific needs. How about just going to prayer just to talk to God? If you only go to God because you're in need, you will never have a relationship with the Lord. Intimacy with God is relationship, is talking to God and Him talking back to you. Prayer, not for that specific moment, although it's a good thing to do, but just communication with God. We're washed by the water of the Word, but our minds are always also washed by what we say out of our mouth. Learning how to say the words of prayer, not just mumblings or groanings or reading a scripture or saying it in our mind, but verbally speaking a prayer out of our lips. The first time you do it, you'll, you'll run out of words in 60 seconds. The second time, you'll, you might add a little 5 or 10 seconds more. Do it every day for 40 days. Pray every day for 40 days. Let your 5 minutes turn into 10. Your 10 turn into 20. And your 20 turn into 30. And then you won't recognize the way you talk. Because it will reconstruct the thought patterns of your own mind. Prayer. Prayer is not a fancy thing. It's not a modern term. It's not a new age. It's not a modernistic program. Prayer is the key to the reconstructed brain prayer it would be better for you to pray and ask god and not get an answer for a long time than to ask everybody else for advice prayer how can you forget pray pray number two i'll use this word flood or flooding flooding is the way that we present for people to help them with pornography addictions flooding flooding is filling the space Space with productive, wholesome activities and things. If you have any kind of addiction, one of the ways of healing is to literally flood your time with duties, conversations, things of worth. You ought to be worn out doing the right things and little energy to do the wrong things. You flood your life. You want to get right, you flood your life. You spend every waking moment that you can doing the right thing. Helping, serving, praying, reading the scripture, coming to church, serving around the church, working hard on your job, whatever it is. You flood your life. You flood it. Because those waters cover up a lot of things that you can't cover up by yourself. Flooding. Flooding. Sometimes even even to put my brain on track... I will read a chapter in a book every day until I'm done with that book and then I'll read my scripture. I'll read my scripture and then I'll read these books and then I'll, I'll, I'll listen to a good word and, and I'm flooding my brain because something's going to go in there. This is the key to all media outlets. They want to flood you with their information. This is what government wants to do with our children. The government is... This is not new. This has happened in many, many countries and nations. The government wants to take all of our our families and reconstruct our minds into being dependent on someone else you watch this i've been predicting so many things that I, it wasn't prophetic it was just we knew this was coming we knew we knew that we were headed this way but they're going to pass billions of dollars in spending to not to take your children as soon as they can so they can indoctrinate them with their thoughts and flood their minds. Well, I want to flood my mind with wholesome things, with prayerful things. I've got to have a conversation in my day that entails the goodness of the Lord. The goodness of God. I've got to have a moment with God. I want to have a, a moment in my life where, I'm, where I am just engrossed in the things of the Lord. Go back and listen to the sermon saturated. I'm sorry to keep bringing up past sermons. Forgive me. It's, it's better than preaching the whole one again. 
And finally, to remember, my compassion does not always come from the state or condition of the other person. My compassion rarely comes from seeing that other person. It comes from the realization of what I've done and where I've come from. Where did you come from? Who remembers where you've come from? See, the moment you forget where you've come from, that's the moment that you fail to forget their infraction. I have to remember who I am. My failure to remember causes me to change the way I deal with other people. David had to choose his response, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get at the end of this. But, and it's what we choose to remember becomes our meditation. Now, I've quoted this verse in Philippians 4 and 8 many times. I've preached about it many times. I've, I memorized the whole book of Philippians when I was a teenager. It was, it was Paul was talking about thinking, but I, I, I've left something out. In so many of my presentations, I don't want to leave it out for you tonight. I want to add the scripture that it, that should be. And some of us struggle because we've only remembered verse 8 or quoted verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. Those are the things. Just think on those things. And we ended right there. We didn't, we didn't do anything else. Think on those things. We thought, we, we presented, I presented that if you just would think about those things, the, the work is done. The, it's, it's over. You'll, you'll, you'll gain joy and, and clear conscience and purity. If there's any virtue, praise, think on these things. But the problem is I left out verse 9 and I want to include it today because it's so critical to verse 8. In fact, verse 8 is struggling without verse 9. Those things, those things, think on these things, he said. Then he said, those things which he had both learned and received and heard and seen. You've learned it. You've received it. You've heard it. I've exampled it. You've seen it in me. And here's the big word. Do it. Do. The God of peace will be with you. Think on those things and those things do. Active hands, service, working, and doing is the way to forget the wrong and think on the right. You will always struggle with a memory problem and struggle with, with all the things that, that you're holding. You won't, ne- you'll never really get the gift of forgetting if you don't serve and do. You want to know the easiest way to be involved in new life and get connected? Serve. If you find a place to serve, if it's a broom and a dustpan, it's an incredible way to get involved. Serve. Serving is the best way to leadership. In fact, it's the only way to leadership. Serve. If you don't want to serve, then don't be disgruntled or dismayed that that you don't feel connected. Connection comes from doing. If you have problems with thoughts and you want to read verse 8, fine. But if you're leaving verse 9 out and you're, you're not doing something, you're going to always struggle and never really retain the gift of forgetting. Amen. Okay. Now, Lord, I pray. In the name of Jesus, I pray for the people that hear this word. My first prayer is that your word would be planted in our hearts. I know the realization of our lives. 
I know that many people struggle today with their memory problems and some cannot get over anything in their life because of what they chose to remember. I know that some of the memories are hard to escape from. So I pray, Lord, help us with those. Only your spirit. I pray for the gift of forgetting, especially the things that have happened against us. And I ask you, Lord, to grant us your grace. And grant us the grace to give to other people. Help mercy become both the gift and the reward. I pray for this church, Lord, that every person who walks through these doors could walk through with a clean slate, that all of us would entreat them with love, no matter what we know about them or where they came from, that all of us would entreat one another with love. Bring this house into a caring realm, a loving and caring realm. Bring this place into a place of passion and compassion. And I pray, Lord, for all the people of new life, some that are here and some at home and some that will listen to this later. I pray for them that hear this word, that you would guide their hearts and their minds. And Lord, I know that it's hard for us to let some things go. But Lord, when we are accused or when we are hurting, especially in those inconvenient times, let us to remove ourselves. Help us to remove our emotions from that and put it into your hands. These things are very difficult for us, Lord. We can say that we do, but we struggle with them. So I ask you, Lord, Heavenly Father, grant us this most powerful and wonderful attribute. Let your love prevail in this house and in our individual lives. Let this place be a beacon of compassion. Let it be... Let it be a harbor where people can come, where all of us can come. We can all come and bring our baggage, the things that we have done wrong, our infractions, and not be horribly judged for that. But there are arms open, and there are people with smiles and true love that are setting aside. We want to repent. We want to stand blameless for, before you. But we also know, Lord, we need one another. So I pray tonight for this body of believers. Make us a healthy church, a spiritually healthy body. I pray against every schism, division, everything that's spoken ill, that seeks to destroy or tear down anyone's reputation or anyone's life, or anyone's ministry in this church in any form or fashion. I pray against it. I build a hedge of thorns around everyone who seeks to destroy the kingdom of God because right will always be right. Righteousness will always prevail. And I pray, Lord, that within the body there would be so much forgiveness and forgetting that we would emulate the blood of Jesus and the cross that redeemed us. And I thank you for this. In Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me right now and just lift up your hearts and your hands to God. Would you do that?